Welcome back to the Breath of Heaven podcast. Everybody said amen. 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 It freaks me out to stand up here, but we're trying it. <laughs> I don't see how long this lasts. It feels very awkward, I'm going to be honest. No, <laughs> that makes me want to get down even more. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do as Jesus did. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do as Jesus did. This is the model that John Mark Comer laid out in his book, Practicing the Way, and it's going to be kind of the wireframe for this talk tonight. I believe we're in a moment in time that the greatest thing lacking in the church and in the body of Christ is discipleship. I think that there was a time that we were lacking worship and truly leaning into the heart and the presence of God. But I think we're in a moment in time now that what's actually missing is heart to heart, relation to relation, diving in deeper to Jesus. What's up, man? Good. Welcome. You know, there was a time when you would have maybe a faith-filled football coach, basketball coach, um, older person in your life who would take you under their wing and they would pour into you and they would disciple you. And you would do heart-to-heart relationship with people who would guide you in the way and in the path of Jesus. And currently, we're in a moment where we find our discipleship in one-minute clips on the internet. No one knows us, no one really sees us, no one really pushes us or encourages us. This is the issue with the younger generation, and it's also the issue with the older. I find that a lot of people have really pulled away from heart-to-heart relationship with people. And so for the next, I don't know, month or two, I think this is going to be the topic of conversation, which is becoming a disciple of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, being with him, becoming like him, and doing as he did. The most important relationship when we discuss discipleship is our relationship with Jesus. Often when we talk about discipleship, and I'm probably the first to say that I immediately jump to our human relationships, but really, what are we if not disciples to Jesus? So I want to talk tonight, honestly, this might be a bit of a a rub, a bit of a push in to our feelings a little bit about what it actually looks like to submit and give your life to discipleship with Jesus. Firstly, I want to point out that Jesus didn't only come to die, he came to live. I want you to think about that. Jesus, most known for dying on the cross in most circles, didn't only come to die, he actually came to live, to show us how to live. For 33 years, Jesus walked on earth and showed us a way that is better than any other, showed us a path, gave us a model to do discipleship well. Being a disciple of Jesus looks like the study of Scripture. Yes, it looks like following his teachings, spending time with him, but it also looks like active relationship with him right here and right now. When Jesus physically walked the earth, the crowds were intrigued by Jesus. 
but there were disciples that followed Jesus. Much of what we're going to talk about tonight is based around the life of Jesus that we see in Scripture. And to be clear, discipleship requires relationship. In fact, I would go uh, so far to say that you cannot actually be a disciple of anyone that is dead. And that's what makes our God so amazing. He is the one and true living God that we can have relationship and we can walk with each and every day. So what about the word disciple? Do you know that the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament? Does anyone want to take a guess at how many times the word disciple is used? Higher? Not that high. Calm down. You're ruining the punchline. The term Christian was used three times in the New Testament. The term disciple was used 269 times. Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus actually didn't invent discipleship. There were rabbis before Jesus that did discipleship. It's actually um, a way of being and learning from someone. So the Hebrew word for disciple is the word Talmud. The word stresses the relationship between rabbi, the teacher or master, and his student. A Talmud of Jesus' day would have given their entire life to be with their teacher. The disciple didn't only see to know what the teacher knew, as usually is the case today when we follow a teacher. It was not enough just to know what the rabbi said, but the foremost goal of the Talmud was to become like the rabbi and do what the rabbi did. So Jesus had at least 120 disciples, as we see in the upper room, including women, which is uh, controversial, especially here. But there were men and women who had submitted their lives to following Jesus. Jesus had 12 apostles and he had that were closer to him, and he had three that were even closer than those 12, in those 12. When we look at the life of Jesus, there were two groups of people that followed Jesus. There were people in the crowd And there were people who sought to be an apprentice of Jesus. The crowds were intrigued by Jesus. They wanted to know a bit about him, but didn't necessarily want to submit our lives. I don't know about you if you've recognized this, but I think this is still very true today. There are people who want to know, they want to understand, they want to hear about the teachings of Jesus, they believe that he was a good man, they're intrigued by who he is, but they're not actually ready to submit their lives to him. Truthfully, as it was said in my youth growing up, Christianity is often a spectator sport. Many may even consider themselves a fan of Jesus, but how many would actually get out of the bleachers step onto the field and be willing to be coached and trained to become more like him. John Mark makes the observation in the book that today we have crowds, disciples, and Christians. Thank you, Father. Christians often being a group of people somewhere in the middle of crowd and disciple. Okay, so again, to distinguish, nowadays, in the observation, it would be that we have crowds, we have Christians, and we have disciples who have gone further past the base 
uh, entry point of coming to know Jesus. Those who agree with the principles of the Bible and Jesus' worldview likely go to church but don't submit their lives to the process of closely following Jesus as he commanded. Somehow we've ended up in a culture, and this is the point of, of this Um, series of conversations. Somehow we've ended up in a culture where you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. So my, my thesis or my question tonight would be to ask ourselves, am I a disciple or am I a face in the crowd observing the life of Jesus? Is my life oriented around Jesus or is my life oriented around other things? You cannot earn closeness with your ability or your gifting. It is not the things that you do or you are good at that gain you access. It is the grace of God, firstly. And secondly, the position of your heart that keeps you close to him. So how do we get close? We put Jesus above everything else in our lives. We lay down our lives to gain closeness. If you have your Bible tonight, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture out of the book of Matthew and I will wait instead of zooming on past you. Matthew chapter 10. (laughs) I thank you, God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 says, He... Who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I told you this was going to sting a little bit tonight. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Step one, to be with Jesus. We scroll back to Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18, now as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So I just want to take a moment to process. Ask this inwardly, but does this sound like your conversion moment to Christianity? When you accepted Jesus in your life, did you immediately run and submit everything to him? For some of us, that moment is immediate. For some of us, we feel the weight and the power of God, and we fully submit our lives. For me, and I've shared this testimony with you guys before that I will probably share at the end of this, that came in two phases for me. It came in accepting Jesus and then actually submitting to Jesus. So if not then at the beginning, have you had that moment since? Continuing on in verse 23, Jesus was going through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread all throughout Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, 
those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. For the next three chapters, Jesus does some of the most amazing, teaches some of the most amazing lessons that he ever taught when he walked on earth. The crowds followed off and on, but the disciples closely were leaning into him. They were with Jesus. They walked with their rabbi. I've shared about this before, but really when you would follow a rabbi, you literally would be walking in their dust, in their dirt. You would follow them everywhere they went. You guys would sleep at the same time. You would wake up at the same time. You would spend time between his teachings asking questions and asking why he did things, how he thought about things. He would ask you hard questions. Ask what you agreed with. Ask what you disagreed with. You would do life-on-life mentorship to become like your rabbi. So that sounds amazing to some of us. I wish I had many times in my life that deep, personal, face-to-face connection with someone who would challenge me and grow me and push me to be all that I can in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, now when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. When he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this, I so badly want to be one of the ones who got in the boat. I so badly want to be one of the ones. In fact, my heart burns to live a life that I would have gotten in the boat and not gone back to the thing that held me. Step two, become like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals the sick, casts out demons, adds to the disciples, speaks truth to religion, endures criticism, and responds to being questioned. What a period of time to walk with someone. (laughs) Sounds like a wild couple days, or however long that time frame was. All the while showing them how to walk as he walked and do as he did. In short, you become what you behold. You become like the thing that you behold the most. It starts to seep into who you are, and actually your actions begin to flow from the place of the one that you behold. Following or discipling under Jesus was less about passing a test and more about learning how to operate in the world like Jesus did. I don't know how many of you guys have seen the movie Karate Kid, but it's just a really good example of mentorship. This kid ends up finding a mentor and waxes on and waxes off and is is given things to do that shape him and mold him and actually become the tools that he needs to carry out, I would say, his destiny or just fight a bully. But we'll stick with destiny. It was less about having the right answers and more about becoming like the one that you apprentice under. Step three, do as Jesus did. Not long ago, we got Ocean a bike. Uh, for his birthday, and he's had, do you guys know what a balance bike is? Okay, so a balance bike is basically a bike, a small bike that has no, uh, has no pedals. 
And so kids just kind of push on it, and they learn how to be balanced. So when he, he had gotten really, really good on his balance bike, well, his, his actual bike came with these things called training wheels. And so I knew he'd be a bit uncomfortable learning how to pedal, but I said, I think to Jess, I need to take those training wheels off really quick. And so Ocean was excited. His new shiny red bike had training wheels. He liked that they had these cool little wheels, and he was like, I want to use the training wheels, da 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 da. So he gets on his bike, and he starts riding around, and he's still toddling. And I noticed immediately that he was forming bad habits because he had training wheels. So what happens for everyone who has ridden a bike? I live now on a farm, and I can't imagine. We're trying to figure out how to teach our kids to ride a bike because we don't have flat land like I grew up with. But for anyone who is comfortable riding a bike or a motorcycle, you know that when you turn, you lean into the turn. Well, in case you've never thought about it, when you have training wheels on, you cannot lean in to the turn. Consequently, when you turn, you actually lean out. So by having training wheels on his bike, he was starting to form bad habits. So I immediately stopped him, popped the training wheels off, and I said, we're doing it without it. And he didn't like it. He was not stoked about not having training wheels on his bike. But being a dad, I was like, you need to trust me. Get back on the bike. We're going to learn this. We did it. He rode his bike. He did fine. He decided he still wanted his training wheels. We put him back on one more time. I took them right back off and said, I promise you, this is not the way. So this, to me, is a perfect example of what happens when you gain a ton of information and you don't actually go and use it. This, I think, is one of our biggest problems in the church. We've been so well fed, quote unquote, I'm so tired of hearing people say they're not being fed. I'm sorry, I just had to say it out loud. Feed yourself in the Lord. Read scripture. Talk to the Lord. But regardless, forgive me for anyone I just offended. We've been so well fed. We have so much information. But if you never actually do something with it, all you're doing is riding around with training wheels, not knowing how to use the thing that you've learned and forming bad habits. What does that look like? That looks like someone who would debate on the internet who would fight with someone over scripture and has actually never done the thing that they're debating about. To do as Jesus did is to remove the training wheels and embrace the process of becoming a disciple and doing as your teacher has done. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 says, And as you go, preach, haha, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely you give. Intense, right? Doesn't this seem a little different than the way that we often do Christianity? Why? What are we doing? Don't get me wrong, I believe there's a place for Bible study over coffee. Okay, I really, really do. I love it. But ultimately, our job as believers, as Christians, as disciples, is to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That is the call of a believer, to make this place look like that place. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus modeled for us. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Okay, so maybe right now you're thinking, that all sounds really good. But that sounds like a lot. I don't really know that I'm ready for all of that. And to that, Jesus would say, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the yoke of a rabbi you know, usually when we talk about the yoke, we talk about being unequally yoked, like don't date the person who's not on the same level as you, or whatever. That's what we think of as a yoke, which is a thing that was put around ox's neck so that when they would pull a cart or they would pull a tiller or whatever into the ground, they would be at the same amount of power. That is not the yoke that's being talked about in the scripture. What a yoke was, was actually a rabbi's um, view of scripture. It was his way of teaching, his way of life, if you want to call it that. It was his view and outlook on things and the way that he did things. So to say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, was to say, come, follow, take my way of life on you, and I will give you what is needed for this journey. Being a disciple is an ongoing process. In fact, you will never graduate to being above Jesus. Spoiler alert. You stay below him. You will always be learning and growing in him. Scripture says that a student is not above his teacher, and it could not be more true about our relationship with God. Discipleship is a lifelong journey of following the greatest teacher that has ever lived who just so happens to be your father and the one that created you to have relationship with him. And I've heard this said, and I love it. Jesus doesn't have grandchildren. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. There is no twice removed. There is no I graduated and people are farther. He only has children. Many have a good idea of what they've been saved from. The question tonight is, do you know what you've been saved to? We've done well saying what we've been saved from in the body of Christ. I don't know that we've fully done well with explaining and portraying what we've been saved unto. So I've shared this before, but for me, I accepted Jesus when I was five. Like my kids have accepted Jesus and they walk with Jesus. They're growing up in a home with parents who love the Lord, and that's what we do. We love Jesus, and it's wonderful. But I had a point in my life when I turned 14 after my father passed away that I realized that I actually wanted to submit my life to him. For me, that is where my process of discipleship actually began. It didn't actually begin in accepting the gift. So how can we have Christians that don't actually consider themselves disciples? We have people who've accepted the free gift of Jesus but had not in return submitted their lives to him. Jesus doesn't become a follower of us. We become a follower of him. Over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to discuss 
what it looks like to build relationships in our lives to do discipleship well, to have people who are not afraid to speak the truth to you, to have people who call the gold out of your life, who push you to be who you're meant to be. But if we haven't actually submitted our life to Jesus, that's a pretty purposeless process as far as being a believer. It's just going to make you a quote-unquote good person, not a good disciple. Matthew 10, 32 says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, will all, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Chip, will you play? But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. The beauty of it is if we confess him continually, if we continue to walk in relationship with him, he gives us right relationship. But I want to push us tonight to really grow as disciples of Jesus. Can we stand tonight? And honestly, I just want to respond right where you're at. If you need prayer, come up or off to the side. We'll pray together or grab someone next to you. If you need prayer for anything tonight. But I want to take a few minutes, maybe eyes closed tonight, and really just respond. And if you've not fully submitted your life to being a disciple of Jesus, this would be a beautiful time to do that. And if you have, I just want to pray over you tonight. Father, would you give us strength for the journey? Would you help us when we ask and say goofy things, just like we see in Scripture with the disciples? When we want to know things like who's the greatest, or we tell you what you're going to do and not do, Father, would you forgive us? And God, honestly, we confess tonight, I confess tonight, for all of the times in my life, past and current, that I have told you how I think my life should go. And so, Father, tonight, I want to humble myself before you. And I want to submit all that I am to you. I want to be with you Jesus, I want to become like you, Jesus, and I want to do as you did, Jesus. And tonight, if that's your prayer, will you actually just repeat that? You can do it quietly. But just tell him, I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to become like you, Jesus. And I want to do as you did, Jesus. Let's take a few minutes to respond tonight. So glad you joined us for this podcast today, friend. We pray that it brought you life and encouragement to your walk with the Lord. For more teachings, music, dance, or to give financially to the ministry and mission of Breath of Heaven, visit breathofheaveninc.org. That's breathofheaveninc.org. And if you are anywhere near Jamestown, Tennessee, definitely come join us on a Friday night for community worship nights. We'll see you in the next one.